Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Foss at GatorCountry.com. Eric, the Gators uh, played awfully hard last night, but fall to 0-2 in SEC play, um, dropping a 12-point deal to Auburn. That was uh, that was certainly it. I mean, effort was was not the problem. Certainly, of of anything we could we could talk about in this one, um, effort's not one of them. But uh, I think the Gators saw just what uh, the quality is at the top of the SEC from kind of a a talent standpoint and uh, generally an execution standpoint. I mean, the only reason this game was, I would say, somewhat was in reach was because Auburn turned the ball over a lot more than they normally do, which is some credit to the Gators, some problems with execution but um, from Auburn. But uh, just kind of generally speaking, I think this is one of those games where you look at it and you just say – well, Auburn's a team that now looks like they could win the SEC. Uh, the Gators kind of see the measuring stick for kind of what what level uh, it takes to get to where they want to be. And kind of clearly there was a few dimensions where uh, they obviously didn't, you know, totally stack up. Yeah, I mean, the Gators win the turnover battle 16-12. They had a uh, their second, not their season high in steals, but their second um, with 12 steals last night. You know, I think a lot of a lot of effort plays. They did gamble um, some defensively, as as you had suggested they should do. Uh, their traps were certainly effective in the second half at times. Um, other times, not as much, but certainly produced some turnovers. And still, uh, you know, I think Florida was just really, really relying on sets. Didn't get a ton out of this five out offense that they've been running uh, since fall camp. And so I think you're kind of left to wonder, like, is it a roster construction issue? Is it a, this is the, this offense doesn't necessarily fit this roster issue, which would be something redundant. Is it all of the above? Because whatever it is and, and credit Auburn, they're a great defense, but uh, Florida still just has to have a lot of things go right to, to score and win a, enough to win a game like this. Yeah. And this is uh kind of even, you know, going back to the Alabama game a little bit, but also the Auburn game was, you know, there's situations where it's like, yeah, Florida doesn't shoot well. That could be the, the mark from three. That's kind of the, the margin for error they have. They can't really afford to not shoot well from three, or even just like, again, going to Alabama as well as the Auburn game. It's like, uh, you know, both those teams caught the Gators on a couple of baseline or the bounce plays. And it's just like, well, if you're handing over buckets like that, it's like the margin of error is too small. So just kind of when you lose in, in kind of multiple facets uh, of the game, I, I think that's when you start to kind of look at uh, is there a roster construction issue and how much of it is a, a scheme and execution ish, uh, kind of issue. And I, I, I do think, again, when you look at Auburn and you just look at the talents up and down kind of the roster, it was like, man, it just seemed like they were more talented and more athletic and longer or faster at a whole lot of positions. And I think that that's kind of the, one of the kind of times we look at, I, again, I'm not singling out the transfers and I, I, it's one of those things too, where it's like, even if you blame the transfers, especially the graduate transfers, it's not really, you know, their fault. It's they, they've had, they've got a pretty long resume of college basketball in them. So if you put them in situations that they, you know, struggle, uh, it's it's not really their fault. They've kind of shown who they are, and it's 
the situations that you put them in. And I, I just think there's times where you look at some of the, some of the matchups and it's like, yeah, clearly the Gators were, you know, out talented at a lot of positions. And it was, I, I think a time where uh, you do look at the, the kind of model of um, really putting your eggs in the basket of these transfers. Um, it's like, well, and you know, maybe unless you're getting the, you know, cream of the crop transfers, that's just not really going to be good enough. I, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, look, I I think we all were very excited at this team being old, um, and they started out like an old team. You know, it, the six and zero start I think can certainly be attributed, at least to, in some extent, to younger teams kind of finding their way in November. In Florida, those guys have played a lot of college basketball, so it's pretty easy to get started. But in terms of like progression, Florida's three and five since that start, um, and I do think that there are certain limitations. I also think Eric, that they're not shooting the ball uh, quite as well as I still think that they're capable. Uh, and I just say that because percentages are uh, a little bit lower than, than career percentages pretty much across the board. And that's even a- accounting for the fact that, like you said, on either the spaces or the last podcast, Brandon McKissick is being asked to shoot at a higher volume than he had uh, at UMKC, but still, I mean, Florida's got guys that, that aren't quite shooting as well as they're capable of shooting the number against Auburn was a little deceptive at six of 22, because a lot of those were, were late. Florida really didn't shoot a ton of threes in that game um, early. And, and I thought had a lot of really quality looks at three uh, before they, they fell behind again by seven, eight points uh, in the final five or six minutes and really had to start launching. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, you're on top of that. And, and you know, And I also think that like less than a roster construction issue. So like after giving this a lot of thought, my kind of take is that uh, I think Florida squandered an opportunity to get some guys that can really help this team more Redick. Um, And I don't think so. Like, I think that there is an element of like, can they shoot better? Sure. Like Flan Fleming coming off, obviously like a case of Omicron um, has one made field goal in two SEC games. He's one of Florida's best scorers. So, like, to some extent, like, you can expect Flynn Fleming to bounce back. Uh, he's a good enough player to do that. He was able to get to the free throw line Saturday night. That's good. But also, like, Kwesi Reeves can clearly help this basketball team. But he has played 91 minutes all season, 10 of which came Saturday night. Like, there's just not really any excuse in my mind for – Florida having played him just 80 minutes in non-conference play, essentially. Like that's not going to help a freshman who is a fringe five-star talent uh, that can create his own shot, get ready to play at Auburn arena. And, you know, it was great to see him defend Jabari Smith last night and like kind of hold his own a couple times. Um, But if he could do that, then why wasn't he playing more against the likes of Elon and Texas Southern and those sorts of teams. And, and I think that's just like one isolated example, you know, CJ Felder, I don't know if it was a fitness thing, but he clearly can help this team win. Um, hadn't played a ton of basketball. Elijah Kennedy doesn't get off the bench last night, probably a better perimeter defender than say Myron Jones, who plays 31 minutes last night. So, I mean, I just think to some extent, when you look at Florida's lineup rotations, they're not also servicing this roster particularly well. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been pretty vocal about my, uh, 
uh, my problems with, with lineups over the last couple of years. And I always have data to, to back it up. Um, that's not to suggest that everything that, you know, I've suggested is, you know, gospel and should be right. But, um, I, I think when there's some eye tests behind it, and then there's also numbers to back it up, it's, it's a, can be a pretty strong case and the sample size is, is, you know, slowly building and, um, going back to, you know, who should be on the floor and what positions, like, I, I mean, it's fairly apparent at this point that my eye for, um, you know, evaluating players would be very different than, than Mike White's just in terms of like what I would value versus what he values. And you see that with lineup decisions, you see it with, um, recruiting takes, um, transfer takes and all that. And again, like a lot, all these transfers, I was happy to hear that they came to the Gators. There's no question, but it's, it's, it's pretty clear that White is someone who values, um, you know, defensive ruggedness and desire to pressure the ball um, a lot more than he values, you know, individual shot creation um, or or length or some of those things that, you know, we really like with a, with a Kwesi Reeves. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we can question, you know, why does Kwesi Reeves not play earlier in the season? Um, but it's also like, well, you know, have we seen those players get opportunities in the past? It's like, well, first of all, White hasn't really taken those players. And when he has taken those players, like, you know, not saying Kwesi Reeves is the second coming of Samson Rusensev, but even you look at a player like Samson Rusensev, a longer shot maker, um, or, you know, different, he's not someone who was going to create a lot of shots off the bounce, but, you know, he didn't get much opportunity. And of course, when he did, he didn't shoot the ball well, and that's why he's gone. Um uh, where he's now playing, you know, very good for an incredible program in, you know, Belgrade. But um, I'll also ask you this, Neil, just um, so small, small sample size theater. Um, I want you to say if you think this number is for real um, in terms of an indication of something or just small sample size theater. So we know Kwesi Reeves played just over nine minutes against Auburn. He was plus three. Um, he also played some big minutes, I'll say in the second half. He was plus three and he was the only Gator who was in the positives. Do you think that that's small sample size theater for nine minutes? Or do you think that that's um, um, an indication of something that he was the only positive Gator playing some pretty high leverage minutes? Well, I mean, to some extent, it's it's a little of both because I like I, I mentioned him guarding Jabari Smith and he got called for a foul once, kind of like almost a cylinder type foul play. Uh, and Jimmy Dykes was like, well, what are you fouling there for? And you know, and I actually think Jimmy Dykes was quite good last night. Uh, he can be all over the place sometimes, but I thought it was really good last night. And that was one of the only times I kind of disagreed with him. It's like, well, you know, he's he's just getting up in Jabari Smith's face. You can't give him room to get started on his drive. So um, I was okay with that foul. And otherwise, I thought that was the best he's looked defensively. He obviously didn't shoot the ball. Um, but, you know, again, he's so big. Uh, and, you know, just has great length, really plus SEC length. And I just think Florida needs that at times because, you know, you're not going to be able to count on Tyree Appleby having a great game where he draws four offensive fouls all the time. And Auburn has smaller guards too. You know, like I'd like to see Wacey playing in games against big physical guards, like the team that's going to come into to Gainesville this week. Yeah, we'll certainly get to that. But um, at some points, you are going to play teams in the SEC, like an LSU that's coming up, that you're going to need to shoot over top of. And man, if there is any indication of the first however many games the Gators have played, 14 or whatever, uh, they 
don't have many guys on the roster who can create some space and shoot over the top of the defense. So I'm looking at this LSU game and I'm saying like, Hey, Kwesi Reeves is a guy you're probably going to need. Um, though, has he been given enough opportunities so that he's you know ready for this game? I mean, I, I guess we'll see on both counts, whether he gets those opportunities and what he does with it. But yeah, it, it was one of those things where um, to get very eye testy here, like looking at Jabari Smith, like, you know, clear cut NBA player, just looking at his frame and skill set. Like there was times on the perimeter where some of Florida's smaller wings were guarding him. And it just kind of looked like, you know, the, the matchup was almost comical. And there was times where it was like, you know, Myron Jones had to have a long closeout to Jabari Smith. That's very difficult. I'm not saying that's bad defense for Myron Jones. It's just, you put him in a tough situation, a long closeout. And it was just like, yeah, you knew, you know, three seconds before the dunk occurred that Jabari Smith was going to be able to dunk it. And you know, Quasi Reeves was the one guy that kind of matched up with him that it didn't look ridiculous. Like here's a six foot seven long NBA looking, you know, frame against a six foot 10 NBA looking frame. And uh, again, it's just, you look all across the kind of college basketball landscape. And it's like, man, those are the apex predators, these, uh, these big wings. And obviously the NBA is at another level there. So um, I bet it was encouraging that Quasi Reeves had nine productive minutes with his defense, because of course we talk all the time about his kind of shot making and that wasn't on, on display in uh, against Auburn. And I don't think he was like, you know, an incredible defender who just, you know, single-handedly changed the tempo on the defensive end, but I think he was adequate and he was also in a lineup that um, played well. And, you know, his team defense was, was good. And that was why he was, you know, plus three. And when a whole lot of other Gators weren't, um, many of them were, you know, obviously they played a lot more minutes than nine minutes like Wasey, but we're in the minus 12 to, you know, kind of that, that kind of range. And um, for him to be on the floor in some successful lineups, but they were successful without him kind of making shots. I thought that that was uh, good for him and good for him um, earning the trust of, of the coaching staff. Who's going to decide how much he's going to play against LSU. Yeah. I mean, I hope that he and CJ Felder earn more time. Um, Felder was also very good in high leverage minutes to help Florida cut the lead back to one point, which they got it to with about eight and a half minutes to play. And, I thought a big key to that that Florida run was certainly, uh, you know, the commitment to to set offense uh, a little bit more too, Eric, and and getting away from the five out offense, which continues to just uh, mystify with with live ball turnovers and you know again against the likes of Alabama and Auburn, it's almost a layup drill when you commit live ball turnovers. Yeah, I've got to say, too, one of the things that I was definitely wrong on on this one and just kind of generally is, you know, with Colin Castleton, he's obviously been awesome for his year and a half at Florida. But one of the things I've kind of been, you know, challenging on him on a little bit was like, yeah, I we, we know you can have these big nights scoring against smaller front court players, but can you do it against, you know, the premier matchups of the SEC and going into this Auburn game, I kind of thought yeah, he's not going to be able to just duck in and and, and score and, and lay the ball in. And, you know, what does he go do against Walker Kessler? He ducks in and gets the ball and he draws a bunch of fouls and he scores. So, so I've got to say, I, I was very impressed with Colin Castleton. I, I really think this is a very positive step for him because uh, I know I've mentioned in the past, I, I don't think he's been able to uh, – 
really play his best basketball against the best matchups. And that was something I was a little critical of. And like, you know, you play one of the best front courts between Cardwell and, and Kessler and Jabari Smith and, and Castleton played awesome basketball and was productive and definitely won his matchups. So um, I was really impressed with this Castleton performance. I was, you know, clearly wrong on this one. And my faith in Castleton has definitely gone up, um, you know, a couple of notches here, seeing him, seeing him do it at that level. But uh, that also goes into what you were saying just regarding about, you know, the sets and kind of needing to be set based because man, there was just not a lot going when, Florida was in their five out kind of motion. They turned the ball over a bunch of times where they went to just, you know, dribble handoffs on the side that were going to flow into ball screens uh, because the angle wasn't good. They got to use uh, Auburn got to use that sideline as a defender and poked it off the Gators and made the Gators uncomfortable and got them into late clock situations. And it was just kind of another indication that uh, they don't have enough creation right now individually to, to really be very good. I think just kind of in, in their motion. And, and again, I, I do think there's some elements where I, I just don't think they, they run it very well. And I think their, their angles of their screens and their angles of their dribble handoffs and uh, the pace that they go through some of their actions, I, I don't love it. And I don't know how much of that is player execution versus the way it's taught or, and people can kind of have their, their own opinions. And, you know, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle as is kind of <laughs> many things, but uh, uh, man, right now it's, it's like, you know, you, you see you here in motion from the bench or you see the players get to their kind of spots to, to start going into just their flow stuff. And uh, my, my confidence is, is not as high as when I see them um, get to a spot and, and hear Mike White calling a set from the sideline. Um, I, I, I've got to say like seeing them slow it down and, and have White calls me from the bench. Um, my, my confidence is, is definitely higher than, than just the flow stuff. Yeah. That was something that Dykes did point out on the broadcast was like when Mike White was calling sets, like Florida's offense was fairly productive. And I think it gets into confidence to some extent. We don't talk intangibles a ton and but but it's less of an intangible when you can actually watch it repeatedly like with the more repetitions you watch the more of an idea you get that it's not an intangible thing it's that they aren't making hard committed cuts in this five out offense they they play like a team that lacks confidence when sets aren't called and so to me the like the coach in me says that you know okay like let's get increasingly set reliant then if we're florida because you know, these guys just don't seem to have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to execute in the half court without them. Yeah. You can tell so quickly how players look going through their offense, how much they kind of believe in it. And I don't know if they would openly admit it, but you can tell when a guy's cutting and he doesn't think he's going to get the ball, or you can see when a guy sets a, a ball screen and kind of pops into space, whether he thinks he's going to get the ball or whether um, I will say even more, it gets the ball in a position to score. I, I know I pointed out a few games ago with a video and I still kind of think it. And again, like I, this is like an interesting kind of study or, or, or practice. Um, if you're watching any basketball game, uh, not just the Gators, but, you know, especially the Gators in this circumstance, but turn on any game and watch a team go through their offense and just, you know, count in your head or think to yourself, how many times does someone catch the ball in a position to score or threaten the defense? And for the Gators, like it sometimes feels like that number is like one on one possession and they're going through, you know, moving the ball side to side, but the guy catching the ball is kind of turned towards half court, 30 feet from the rim. Or, you know, a guy gets a dribble handoff, but he's going straight towards the center line, not going towards the rim. And you just say, like, you know, at what point did someone receive the basketball and be in a position where Auburn's like, oh, man, they're in a position to score? Like, 
it just doesn't, doesn't happen very often. And that's not a, that's, and again, I, I say that's a practice you can use to watch basketball and learn a little bit about offensive basketball. It's not a perfect system um, because there's some offenses where it's like, yeah, you've got to make some non-threatening passes to set up one really good look. But uh, I wouldn't say that's Florida's situation right now. And um, there's, there's also times too, where it's like, if they're going to get into, you know, uh, if they're going to get into a ball screen at the end of one of these possessions, I would rather them set things up perfectly where it's like, okay, this is the, this is where our ball handler is best on the floor. Here's where the shooter's best um, spacing the floor. Um, and then they just run kind of a perfectly spaced pick and roll, then get into a position where it's one of their secondary or tertiary ball handlers um, running a pick and roll um, where the spacing is not optimized. Like it's one of those things where it's like, I, I feel like a lot of these possessions are not really leading anywhere, ending in a ball screen anyways, but not an optimal ball screen. And if that's the situation, you might as well just set up right away in a proper ball screen um, with your best options. And that's how you start to maximize your talent on the floor. And kind of one of our overall overarching themes of Florida on the offensive end has been like, is the talent getting maximized? And I, I, you know, I, I, while I don't think it's a super talented group of offensive players, I still would not say, wow, they're, you know, they're getting every drop out of that talent. Yeah, no, a hard to, hard to argue with that. Florida did get back into the game after falling behind by 13, Eric. Um, and you mentioned Castleton. I wanted to compliment the play of Tyree Appleby last night. I just thought he was fantastic. I, look, now, he had four turnovers in the first seven minutes of the game, and Florida fell behind 24-11. He did not turn the ball over after that, Eric, um, and finishes with 11 points, nine assists, four steals, uh, even got in there and rebound a little bit. I mentioned that he drew four offensive fouls. Um, I mean, goodness, three offensive fouls, I'm sorry. Uh, him and Castleton drew 15 fouls last night, which is ridiculous. Uh, and I just thought – just a terrific basketball game from, from him as well, um, Eric. And, and it, hopefully it's something that, you know, Tyree, I don't think ever lacks for confidence, but I hope that, uh, you know, it's something that Florida can build on and maybe he gets hot here down the stretch for the Gators. Yeah. He played a good basketball game without getting his kind of three point shot going. And that's where we know he can be really dangerous. And again, I've always kind of been a, a Tyree Appleby defender and, um, I think a lot of the reason why is it's something I've harped on for the how, however long we've been doing this podcast is like I, I see the value in guys who can create offense one on one as, as like that is gold to me in the game of basketball. And again, as we look at a lot of Florida's struggles over the last couple of years and this year is no different. Uh, the lack of some, you know, having multiple players who can create offense one on one it just is, it can make you so stagnant. And I think that's part of Florida's problems. So like when I see Tyree Appleby turning over the ball, sometimes it's frustrating, but I honestly think that the Gators have to live and die with that because he's like the one guy on the floor that when a set is breaking down can go make something happen. And he's the one guy in transition who seems somewhat comfortable dribbling the ball at, at full speed and, and, and pushing. And, uh, yeah, would I like to have a couple of those turnovers back? For sure. A couple of those turnovers against Alabama, for sure. But I, I really think like, you know, I'm not one of the guys who thinks that they should, should bench him or, you know, they're, they're, which you usually see on Twitter, him getting, you know, getting called for uh, after the, you know, first or second turnover. I, I think his ability to create is is so, so important. And also his ability to get to the free throw line um, at the big moments. And again, I've mentioned this a couple of times, and I think this Auburn game is just another example. Tyree Appleby seems to play his best games against Florida's best opponents. You can look up and down his game logs, um, his game-by-game stats, 
when Florida plays their best opponents, um, he has always played his best basketball. Um, and I think that's, uh, something that's pretty important to consider and uh again if and he has nine turn or sorry nine assists that's really tough to do in a college basketball game so you look at that you know if if he's going to have nine assists four turnovers isn't going to phase me that's for sure yeah i mean look i think what we'd all like from florida is for him to come out and play great against south carolina too in a week right because you're right like it seems like when, when it's a big spotlight, Tyree seems to embrace that moment. He gets a look in his eye and, you know, you can see that, that he's just locked in. And, you know, I think with, with young people, um, Eric knows this as a coach, it, it can be very difficult to, to sell them that, you know, Hey, locking in every time you compete. Uh, that's something that we all, I think, battle with in different walks of life, but it would be great to see that from Tyree uh, and, you know, he's running out of opportunities to compete. I mean, obviously there's the COVID year, but the reality is that, you know, he could be his, his last year of basketball unless he plays abroad. And, and hopefully he can build on a performance like this. Because Ford is, like you said, really going to need his ability to create. And I would agree wholeheartedly with you. I've actually been saying this to some people in, in chats and stuff that have messaged me about Appleby. And I'm like, man, I don't know. I think he's certainly one of Florida's best players. Like this idea of, of uh let's put him on the bench seems kind of silly i also don't think that like i still think that ball handling isn't necessarily an issue for florida it's more that um florida's guards aren't necessarily making shots and then brandon mckissick i think to some extent has made some poor decisions that compound the problems that florida's guards have offensively um and i'm not sure that because none of them are necessarily creative uh, beyond Appleby, Myron Jones is, is crafty, but not necessarily somebody who's going to win a lot of one-on-one battles. Um, you know, to me, I don't think Florida wants to be in a position where they have a secondary ball handler as their point guard who can't create, not on this roster. It's, it's true. And, um, I, you know, I pointed out that I thought Castleton kind of proved me wrong a little bit by by playing such a great game against uh uh, a really marquee opponent and matchup. And, and one guy that I actually thought was um, played maybe his best basketball game, or I don't, I don't want to say his best basketball game is a Gator, but uh, one of his best recently I did. I actually do think was Brandon McKissick and um, yeah, he was good. And one thing too, is like, again, you kind of mentioned that he was one of the guys who came away with, um, with, with a couple kind of tip aways and, and, and steals gambling, um, you know, right early in the game, Auburn went into that flex offense that uh, they're kind of, you know, pretty known for. And I tweeted out some of the clips of, and he almost got beat on one. And then he sold out going for a steal instead of just trying to recover in a position where he maybe would have fouled um, and he was able to get a steal. So I thought that that was a really good play. And I also thought he had some really good moments driving the basketball and coming to a two foot stop and playing a little safer versus like doing some of those, you know, drives into traffic and getting a shot block that we've talked about on the show. And um, I'm sure the staff is, is very aware of too. So uh, I actually thought he played a better basketball game than he has in the past. Of course, man, um, pretty deflating when he missed those two free throws. I also thought it was quite the uh, quite a kind of microcosm of the game when Byron Jones um, smokes a dunk. I don't think he was touched. They call the foul on uh, on Jabari Smith, and then he goes and misses two free throws. I thought that was a little bit of a microcosm of the game because I don't think Florida totally deserved to be in the game as, as close as it was. But at the same time, when they had their opportunities to pounce, they, they didn't take it. 
they weren't able to, I should say. So I thought that was quite a microcosm. So a couple tough free throw situations, Brandon McKissick had two of those, but um, I do think that uh, he played a better basketball game. Um, I thought he had some really good moments actually moving his feet side to side. I think that's been a little bit of a problem for him this year. I know you mentioned to me, um, not on this podcast, but in a chat that uh, just kind of reminding me that he did kind of turn his ankle or hurt his ankle in some way against Troy. And um, that really sucks for when you're trying to move side to side defensively. So maybe he's coming off that and, and is a little bit better than what I'm giving him credit for. But uh, you know, there's a guy who I thought played a little bit better basketball and hopefully he builds on it. Um, but man, those three, those were tough. And I think he was over three from, from the three point line. And we hope those are going to start falling like uh, they did for him last year. Um, and kind of one more note just on, especially the one play where he kind of gambled and, and was able to break up one of those uh, passes to the cutter off that flex cut. Um, I do think that the Gators were definitely prepared for that. Um, it speaks to, uh, yeah, their, their preparation in that game. I think they got caught on it once or twice and a couple people were like tweeting at me and responding to the video I posted and we're like, Oh, see this, like they weren't prepared at all. Like what, you know, inept coaching that, Auburn was able to get the Gators on this cut. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's good offense for a reason. And, uh, you know, getting get on, got on it once or twice. Like that's what happens when a really good offense runs really good offense. So uh, I didn't look at that. And well, again, actually specifically to the one play, I thought Anthony DeRuji really was sleeping and he's actually a guy who, uh, well, this is going to be a transition. I want to talk Anthony DeRuji after, but, um, it's my long winded way of, uh, um, talking about Brandon McKissick, but Neil, do you have any thoughts kind of on Florida's kind of overall scheme or Brandon McKissick's game or, uh, or free throw shooting? One of the many things I just ranted about. <laughs> no, a lot of good stuff. A lot of good points in there. I mean, yeah, to, to the actual game, you know, definitely look, Florida missed those four free throws by guards missing free throws. Uh, one of which is an 85% free throw shooter in Myron Jones. Um, just absolutely brutal as was the uh if that's not a foul i'm not a man play by myron jones that doesn't get called and then uh yeah, auburn <laughs> gets the light <laughs> auburn gets the jabari smith layup at the other end right <laughs> it's kind of like that was a fairly deflating uh four point swing because you wouldn't expect myron to go over four at the foul line um i mean he definitely got landed on like by two people on his head and uh, they don't make a call so florida doesn't score off a transition opportunity um look you can't do like florida was 11 of 18 in the second half at the free throw line they were 8 of 10 in the first half they got to attempt 18 free throws in the second half they were in the bonus from the 14 minute on standpoint which i also think is a reflection of how well mike white sets were working last night like in some ways this was a very high level basketball team and the better team won um you know and and i i say that not to excuse some of the like larger systemic stuff that we've talked about for like four podcast ad nauseum, I think, but like, you know, uh, this was better from Florida last night, but they're not good enough to win unless they make these plays at the margins. You have to hit your free throws. You can't go to the line down 65, 61 and miss them both, you know, and then give up a three on the other side because you're pouting about missing the second free throw, which I thought was really the only bad moment McKissick had was kind of not getting back there. Um, and so they were kind of late to close out on Jabari Smith and he's pretty lethal uh, everywhere. That's why he might, you know, I said on the pre on the spaces that he might be the top pick in the draft and, and, you know, he might be, um, I still think it's going to be uh Bonchero or Holmgren, but we'll see. Um, 
you know? So yeah, I guess that's addressing that. You wanted to talk Anthony DiDerucci, who has suddenly become uh, the, as Bill Rafferty would say, get the puppy set and knock him down from outside. Uh, that three point shot looks really nice. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, stuff going on. yeah, I, I thought, I just thought defensively he played very quite poorly to be honest with you. And I thought he fell asleep on a couple Agreed. of times. He got backdoor cut a couple of times. So usually with him, it's, it's something where it's like, we, we want to see him attack a little bit more off the dribble. We want to see him, uh, um, could well shoot more to be quite honest as he continues to be efficient on on catch and shoot attempts but you know there was a time where you know he bobbled a put back dunk that could have been probably a very easy put back layup but he went to try to put back dunk it and of course you know unfortunately missed it and then fouled a jump shooter and you know wide open corner three and he airballs it like one of those airballs that the moment he left his hand the defense was able to scramble to adjust because they saw it wasn't going to get to the rim like I, i i don't know like i i I don't want to say, well, my, 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 what I want to say is it seemed like he lacked focus in this game. I, I, I also, you know, it's, it's tough. To, I, I don't really like saying that. Cause you know, it's, that's tough to quantify, but there was just some of those times where it's like, he had a, the, the, the way he fouled a jump shooter, um, the way that he got backdoor cut a couple of times when, when, you know, Florida had so many really good possessions guarding the flex offense. And it was, you know, him sleeping that got caught on one of them. So, I, I think for him too, it's just like, Hey, you're in a important position. You know, he's guarding Jabari Smith a lot. So I should give him a little bit more credit because you're guarding, he's guarding really good players the whole game. But uh, just again, an, another kind of situation where talking about um, how, how slim the margins are. It's like, you know, there was when Florida had some momentum and, and missed a couple um free throws but it was also like oh they have a bit of momentum and then he gets you know face cut for a layup or um he you know airballs a wide open three like some of those are just kind of deflating moments that unfortunately um fell on his hands yeah no i mean it's it was definitely a, a tough one for him on the defensive side of the ball um and you know it also doesn't help that that auburn shot like 52 percent from the field um, just kind of made a lot of tough shots, uh, you know, as, as, you know, we mentioned Jabari Smith, kind of an unblockable jump shot. Um, but then late in the game, just some logo threes to uh, kind of create the separation, Eric, just a really talented offensive team. Yeah. And I do think that was kind of my, my takeaway, you know, after a couple of games where we were a little bit kind of critical of the the scheme or, you know, we were against, against Alabama you know, it's like, yeah, we don't love the the motion offense, but you kind of saw like, well, against Alabama, it was like the guards for Alabama were getting in the paint anytime they wanted and Florida couldn't get much done on the other end. And then you kind of go to Auburn and it's like the same kind of thing. The guards look better. The front court looks, you know, fantastic. I would say if there is kind of some overarching kind of theme, it's like, um, yeah, the, the talent difference between, you know, those two teams that look to be at the top of the SEC, Alabama and Auburn, um, you know, that, that, that gap is, uh, that gap is really there. There's, uh, there's no question. I, I would say that was my takeaway. And obviously we don't have any questions about, about Florida's effort. Um, that has never really been a, a question for us. And I think we saw them, you know, scratch and claw their way in. And it had actually looked like the Gators might come back and win. It had Anthony Deruji, you know, hit a corner three at the end after, after the Gators forced another turnover. But uh, yeah, it was kind of the, uh, just the overall talent discrepancy that, uh, uh, kind of made it that that Florida didn't really have the margin to uh, 
um, to miss some open shots or miss some free throws. And uh, it was a game that, of course, I like. I, I guess in one way it maybe felt closer than it was because Florida was within six shooting a wide open corner three right at the end. But it was also a situation where it's like, man, if Auburn turns the ball over 11 times instead of 16 or whatever, this could have very easily been a 20 point game. So, uh, and again, some people are going to say, well, Auburn hit some really tough shots from three. It's like, yeah, absolutely. They did. Um, they also missed some, some open ones and and also missed some, some bunnies around the rim. So be interesting to look at the shot quality numbers for that. But uh, uh yeah, that's kind of my, you know, overarching takeaway. Yeah, no, I think that's all, all very fair. Florida now, no rest for the weary. The Gators will face what should be a top 15 team for the third consecutive time. Uh, Wednesday night when LSU visits its Actic Arena. LSU not as talented as Auburn, so that everybody knows uh, right off the top of the bat. Um, you know, all you have to do is look at a mock draft, figure that out. Basically, it depends on the mock you look at. Like Darius Days might be a guy that somebody takes late in the second round, like maybe. Otherwise, uh, you know, you'd have to go down all the way to like Alex Fudge, who grew up a Gator fan in Jacksonville, Florida, and suddenly had family in Baton Rouge when it came time to commit uh, to, to LSU um, for a guy that might – be sort of an NBA draftable player. Uh, Milwaukee Wilkinson, a great defender, doesn't have much offensive upside. Terry Eason, a monster who I'm sure we'll talk about, also shoots about 24% from deep. Uh, kind of the game that can't shoot straight. They're not the classic LSU team that we've grown accustomed to under Will Wade where they have these elite offensive players, whether it's Nas Reed or Javante Smart or Trenton Waters. Um, they are – almost the polar opposite of that, Eric. They kind of grind out buckets, make it really hard for you to get them. Probably the best defensive team in the country right now, in my opinion. Um, and uh, going to be a real challenge for Florida to score Wednesday night. Yeah, this is just not at all what we've come to expect from from LSU. And um, I'll also say this. I mean, you know, Eason is a guy who I think Sam Vecini might have him in the late first round now. Um, he's really climbing up there. But like Eason is one of the great like like I don't like I, I like stories of the transfer portal like this is crazy like he played at Cincinnati last year um came off the bench and scored seven points a game for them and now he's someone who's like in Ken Palm's top 10 for player of the year right now um he's been fantastic and I just think that's like you know speaks to how how good of a job Will Wade has done. I know a lot of people don't want to give him credit, but it's like he went in, in the transfer portal, got a guy that was, you know, played at Cincinnati at seven points a game and um, is now one of the best players in the country. I think that's pretty impressive. And then you also look at like, well, what's been the problem with LSU the last couple of years uh, defense. And now it's like, well, they're the number one team in, Ken Palm's def adjusted defensive efficiency. So um, I tweeted out uh, today, uh, which is Sunday, um, something that I think that they do really, really interestingly defensively. And uh, you see it common in Europe, as is normally the, I shouldn't say commonly in Europe, but um, as is normally the case, if something innovative happens in basketball, it happens in Europe first and then, you know, trickles down from there. And um, it's triple switching um, pick and rolls. So we all know what, you know, switching a pick and roll is where um, the guy guarding the screener is switches onto the ball and the guy on the ball switches onto the screener. But what LSU does is they take a third defender and switch him onto the roller or the screen setter. Um, and by that, you know, 
then also switching the screen defender onto the ball. So of course you get that action of taking away the chance at the drive or the pull up three by having the screen defender take the ball. Uh, But then you also take away the threat of the roller, which is a little bit of the problem of when you're just switching straight up um, by having a third defender come in and switch it. And it's just really, really confused a lot of teams that have played LSU because it's a style of basketball that I like, I'm sure other teams in college basketball play it. Um, I just personally haven't seen it particularly from, any team in the sec or um, any other high major team. So they've just really, really confused teams um, using it. The only team that it didn't confuse and was ready for it was Auburn. And that's why Auburn was able to score on them and won. but uh, it's, it's a very, you know, unique style of basketball to, uh, to college basketball at least. And I'm very interested how Florida is going to attack it. And um, one stat I kind of tweeted out as well, like right now the national average for um, shots in pick and roll is like at 29%. So like you can kind of say that like the average team, 29% of their shots come out of the pick and roll. Um, But right now defensively for LSU, only 14% of their teams or of their defensive shots against come out of the pick and roll. So they're like completely neutralizing like they're ta- pretty much like most teams that are so pick and roll reliant, they're pretty much neutralizing it and making it as common as like coming off screens and like post-ups. So uh, I-, I think it's very innovative by LSU to take something that works for a lot of teams in Europe and just come and confuse the hell out of teams in college basketball with it. And uh, I hope the Gators do not fall prey to it. Yeah. So an interesting note on that is that Bill Armstrong is the, um, associate head coach at LSU and has been on the staff for five years. But last season before the year, Will Wade made him the defensive coordinator and associate head coach. And so here's the deal with Bill Armstrong's background. Um, He was a longtime assistant. First uh, he was recruited by Andy Kennedy when Andy Kennedy was on staff at UAB and then ended up being an assistant uh, with Andy Kennedy and Ole Miss back when Andy Kennedy's teams were among the SEC's best defensively. Like usually it was Florida and Ole Miss who were the best at defense because Andy Kennedy, uh, his teams are always known for just exceptional uh, pick and roll defense. They are always very good at that. Um, and Bill Armstrong is a well-known teacher of that. He was the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss the year they won the SEC tournament uh, and, and were a top 25 defensive team, but more well-known for having like, Slim Shady, Marshall uh, Henderson dropping threes from the logo against everybody. But uh, so, look, um, I really think Bill Armstrong has a lot to do with what LSU is doing and kind of it's an interesting adjustment. And also kind of a point that like if a head coach delegates something, say defensive coordinator duties uh, to someone, then, you know, sometimes there's merit in just listening to them because Will Wade, is, his specialty has never been defense. Even his VCU teams were very press-reliant and turnover-creation-reliant. Um so they've made schematic changes and full credit to them for that. Uh, they've also built, you know, a, a roster with three of the top box plus minus <laughs> defenders in the top 10 in the country. Uh, we mentioned Terry Eason. I think I mentioned Milwaukee Wilkinson in passing. By the way, Eric, uh, Vicini hasn't gotten to Terry Eason in his mock yet, but mm. did have him on the, players, on the players to watch on his last mock. Gotcha. So, Certainly somebody that looks like could slip into the second round or maybe even the first round if he keeps playing like this. There's still defenses, as Eric has said on some previous podcasts and in his NBA draft coverage, I don't think people understand how important defense is in the NBA. And if you defend like Terry Eason does, like you're going to have a job. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, just three different guys in, in Wilkinson. I think it's still three with Wilkinson and Eason and then Alex Fudge all in the top 10 in box plus minus. And then uh, they still like in terms of getting buckets, I, I think their best two scores are, are Xavier Pinson and Brandon Murray. They're still pretty damn ball screen reliant uh, in Will Wade's offense. Yeah, I don't know what's uh, what the status for Xavier Pinson will be. I know that their game was obviously on before, right before the Gators, and it was like right before I switched from that game to uh, uh, the Gators broadcast because you know, like the Gators broadcast tipped late and it was starting on you know ESPN News or whatever. Uh, so you know, I switch over to the Gators game and then I refresh Twitter and there's all these people that were like, "Oh, that's really ugly for Xavier Pinson." So I know he had some form of leg injury. I also saw the news today um, this morning was uh, that it wasn't you know, it wasn't as bad as they, they feared and it was kind of the best outcome given that situation. So I'll be interested to see if Xavier Pinson, um, to see if he plays um, pretty important player for them, I would say. And, um, you know, with Eason, he's someone who's their, their leading scorer, but, uh, he's someone who I feel gets like he rebounds the ball well, and then he's able to push it, which is a really, uh, a nice luxury in college basketball. So he, he does so much of his offense in the open floor, uh, like not a great shooter. Um, but he's also kind of, you know, a, a bigger forward who, especially in the open floor can handle it really well. And, um, kind of, especially when, when teams are backpedaling, he just like keeps his dribble alive and, uh, gets to a weak foot of a defender and gets it deep in the paint and pump fakes a couple of times and finishes. So he's the guy that I think the Gators have to be kind of most concerned with in, in transition. And then, um, if Xavier Pinson does play, um, a very veteran sec guard, of course, um, he's the one you have to be a little bit, um, more concerned than the half court. And just kind of looking at, uh, what, Will Wade has been at, at LSU just first going back to his defense, the defensive ratings or uh, Ken Palm rankings for LSU um, under Will Wade have, were 136, 59th, 179th, 124th, and now first. So like, that's pretty incredible to make that switch. Um, of course, they've made such a massive schematic switch defensively. So it kind of makes sense. And then one thing I think is just crazy is that, so their offensive rankings are 33rd, 12th, 4th, 5th, and then this year they're 77th. So obviously this year is not going as planned, but man, that is incredible that they like 12th, fourth and fifth in offense in three years is incredible. And to, I think he inherited a, a team that was, I forget what they were um, but before he inherited them, but they were not good. And even to get them 33rd in the first year is pretty impressive. So yeah, currently they're not great offensively, but I, I think they'll get better and um, kind of watching them is, kind of a similar story to the Gators where I don't think that they have a lot of great individual creation, uh, a lot of their creation the last couple of years, I would say, um, and their ability to kind of score, even when things broke down came from like a Trenton Watford or Naz Reed the year before, like they always had those really big talented scores in the front court that I thought really gave a lot of teams trouble, including the Gators. And they don't really have that. And again, they, they often play a lot smaller now, like, yes, they have Efton Reed, who's a, seven footer high rated prospect, but um, their best or their most used lineups, I should say, are with Darius days, six foot seven, you know, 240 pounds at the five. And I think he's a, you know, talented player, a really good defensive player, but not that same threat as when it was like Naz Reed setting flex cuts and then opening up to the ball, getting a seal. So they don't really have the great perimeter scores. They don't really have that kind of great low post score. So um, they can get deep into clocks and, uh, then, you know, not be super talented at, at, at finishing there. So uh, 
it'll be kind of interesting to see what they what they try to do against the Gators offensively. Yeah, no, it'll be it's going to be fascinating. And I uh, I did get a Sunday night we're recording, so I got a pins and update. Uh, it's a sprained knee, uh, no structural damage to the MCL or ACL, thank God. So uh, he will be back. Uh, will Wade says he'll be back in a week, so he he should miss the game against Florida, um, and perhaps LSU's game this upcoming weekend. So Florida will get them without Xavier Pinson, which Florida is kind of a break as Pinson has just murdered the Gators um, in his collegiate career, including last year on uh, Senior Day. Even though I don't think they were any seniors to honor um, for for Florida, uh, I guess Trey Mann's last last game in the at Zach Tech Arena. But um, he's he's been pretty good against Florida, I think, um, Eric. And so, uh, you know, they won't have him. Um, Brandon Murray is a guy that was pretty highly recruited that's really come on uh, for them in the last couple games. He started the year not making anything, shooting well over 50% in his last few outings. Um, and is a little bit different in the sense that, like, LSU's guards under Will Wade have traditionally, with the exception of Javante Smart, who could do pretty much everything, but a lot of them were smaller and, and happy to, to launch from outside. Trenton Waters could get inside, but in sort of the Tyree Appleby fashion where he drove to kick. Eric, Brendan Murray, uh, just a big dude that's physical and and kind of in that Brandon McKissick mold. Uh, pretty good finisher at the rim, though. Um, and so I think they get high percentage looks from him, whether it's in transition or off the pick and roll. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. So you also kind of saw that those, a couple lineups from the past um, kind of with that Javante smart where they um, didn't really have that true point guard and they just put, you know, three capable ball handling wings on the perimeter. And that was something that we kind of looked at and we're just like, Oh man, wouldn't that be great to just have three, like six or five guys that could handle on the perimeter and make stuff happen that way. So uh, you are seeing a little bit more of uh, um, this year with uh with Xavier Pinson. Um, and then with Eric Gaines, who's another like, you know, small yeah. guard, um, a little bit more traditional point guard kind of guys. So um, I will say one thing that's um, one thing that I really like that they do to offensively as well. Um, they, they just started to do it. I, well, I saw it the last two games and then started to look for them doing it in the past and didn't see it. But one of my favorite kind of concepts in basketball are like veer screens it's called. So you set a pick and roll, but instead of the roller rolling into space, trying to go get a dunk, he goes and pins down for a shooter. So especially teams that like to like really load up um, in, in the help side, um, they're just not at all in position to guard that. And I think the Gators are kind of one of those teams with the way that they hedge ball screens. They kind of rely on having a, um, a help defender get really deep in the paint, ready to tag a roller. So uh, I think Florida is definitely susceptible to if they try to do that, whether or not they kind of pick up on on the fact that Florida is susceptible to that, we'll see. But um, another thing from LSU where like I, I do see some of the concepts they run offensively. And I think like, oh yeah, I do think that Will Wade is still the talented offensive coach that we've seen. It's just like, yeah, a lot of these players are not great, um, not great offensive players and kind of definitely defense first guys. Yeah, I mean that's what I meant. Like when they're they're not as talented as Auburn, they're not quite as complete a basketball team. Um, but they're schematically, I think, ahead of the game on defense. Will Wade is always going to be able to coach offense. They don't shoot a lot of three pointers, which is another thing kind of negates one of Florida's larger defensive strengths. Um, they're 257th in the country in three point attempts. They're so they're much more content trying to get their buckets. Some of that is because they produce so many turnovers. They get a lot of nice looks in transition, and that's kind of how they score. But 
they're also a little more patient. I've noticed this season, Eric, than, than in past years, they're trying to, to uh, not necessarily like Alabama and the way that they space the floor. Um, and, you know, it sounds funky that, that I say they're more patient when they're 53rd in tempo, but in the half court, I think they will wait longer to isolate, try to get a matchup that they like, and then get towards the basket um, rather than settle for jump shots. If you can get them in a position where they're settling for a lot of jump shots, which is exactly what Auburn did, uh, and, and uh, Penn State, I would add, uh, was able to do that to them um, pretty well uh, in a feast week game, then I think you can you can compete with them. Um, and Florida seems to usually have a good plan for LSU. It's another coach where Mike White's had his number. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, LSU is number one in the country in steal rate. Um, so for a Florida team that's struggled with turnovers, that's a little scary. But I, I think you nailed it. Like watching their half-court possessions, which is what I was doing, trying to find um, what they were kind of running half-court offense-wise and running, you know, veer plays and stuff like that. Uh yeah, you wouldn't have known that their average possession length is is so short. And that's why even like people always cite the Ken Palm possession. Well, I, actually, they often, you know, misuse the tempo number from Ken Palm um, to gauge how fast the team plays. Really, the better metric is average possession length. And even then, that number is a little bit, you know, it's 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 not always in context because um, it is, you know, watching the half court of LSU, they don't play fast in the half court, but they just get so many steals and so many runouts that, you know, you get a bunch of four second possessions that way. It's obviously going to bring down your average, but um, I would say that's kind of one of the concerns. And uh, again, I think that Bruce Pearl is an incredible mind. He's got a very good staff. And they came in and knew exactly what they were going to do against this triple switching that LSU does watching other teams against them. Oh man, they are just completely lost. And again, I kind of understand that because you don't see that anywhere in college basketball. Um, there's um, a few concepts that I liked that I saw that a couple teams ran to beat it. And um but generally speaking, it's been teams that are just so confused and so befuddled by it that they throw the ball away and still try to jam it into their roller and LSU is just sitting on it to steal it. So like at this point of the season, I hope that like, like again, Florida is going to turn the ball over against LSU. LSU is a team that wants to gamble. Um, they're obviously the number one team in the country defensively. So they're going to get their steals. I just hope it doesn't come from Florida seeing the triple switching and having no idea how to attack it. So this is another opportunity where like, you know, we didn't love maybe the scheme against Alabama. Um, we didn't have any problems with it against Auburn and thought that they were pretty prepared for the flex offense that Auburn was running and give them credit for that. Absolutely. Um, I think this is another, you know, this gauntlet of good opponents that the Gators play in the SEC. This is another chance for the coaching staff to really kind of um, show us what they're made of. You know what LSU is going to run. They triple switch all the time. The Gators want to have so far, the Gators have had 28% of their shots out of pick and roll. Um, so we know they're going to pick and roll a lot. Um, so, you know, what LSU is going to do against those pick and rolls. Um, you know, what variations do you have ready to combat that? Um, that's going to be important because uh, again, if they're not, if they're looking to run their regular pick and roll offense against LSU's pick and roll defense, it's just, it's not going to happen. I'll tell you that right now. So, uh, they're going to need to make adjustments and that's why LSU has been so successful is they've forced, uh, opponents to make more adjustments than anyone else in the country. Um, so it's now the Gators turn to, uh, uh, to do something different. And, uh, I'm really interested to see what we, uh, we'll see from that. Yeah, one thing 
Florida will absolutely have to do defensively because we keep talking. That those are great points about attacking LSU and making sure to take care of the ball. One thing I do think is we're kind of – I don't want to undersell Willie's ability to draw plays just because they're kind of the game that can't shoot straight a little bit. And so one action that they they really do like to run is a ghost action. I just think it's very difficult to guard a ghost action pick and pop. Um, typically they're using a guard here to set a screen, um, whether it is – uh, well, sometimes they've used Terry Eason in what what few times I've watched them, but more often um, they're using one of the other uh, guards on the floor. The guard sets the screen, and really it's just a ghost action to free up Darius Days uh, for a pick and pop. And, and I think it's something Florida's really going to have to be responsible in guarding. And, and your thoughts on how Florida might go about doing that? Yeah, the ghost screen is um, a very effective action for, and there's a reason that it's so prominent in basketball right now. And for a team like Florida that hedges, um, the ghost screen is very difficult to handle because when you're hedging, you want to get out to the level of the ball. And when you're, you know, setting a ghost screen and kind of like uh, you got that kind of player coming towards the ball, the hedging defender is going to anticipate that and try to get out to the level of the ball. And then when the ghost screener, changes course it's very difficult to respond to that it's one of the reasons that i think there's some it's one of the holes in the hedging defense we've talked a lot about various holes in the the hedging kind of defense this would be one of them um so that like honestly florida's you know screen defenders i think are going to have to be um maybe a little like like a step behind what they would normally do to get out to their hedge and um if that means that a ball handler ends up getting the corner on them once or twice that might be just the tax you pay on on being prepared for the ghost screens um but uh just kind of in their base defense it's a, it's a good way to attack what what Florida does defensively and uh, it's definitely a little kind of you know point for concern and something that Florida's probably going to have to adjust for because again you used to see like Nas Reed setting screens and rumbling down towards the rim or Trenton Wadford trying to set screens and go get alley-oop dunks on the roll and that's not the case um especially like you said when it's a guard to guard screen you know that that guard's not looking to like roll down the paint and 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 seal um so uh just kind of knowing that i think i and then the other thing too will be florida's probably got to approach these guard to guard pick and rolls just with a switch i think that's what they'd be wise to do and then if it is like a darius days then then you can get into your normal stuff maybe being a little bit less concerned with the pop though we know that he's kind of shown he can hit shots in the past No, and I also think there's there's ways that LSU seems to signal it, and hopefully uh, the staff seem to be up on Auburn's flex cut tendencies, for example. Um, LSU does seem to signal it a lot with dribble handoff, uh, where somebody sprints out of the dunker spot, and you know, like if somebody's sprinting out of the dunker spot and then fades into the slot, you need to be on, on top of what's happening before they start to move towards the slot. Um, and if you're not, then you're doomed. And as Eric said, if you have to pay the tax where there's an open lane for them to drive in, to me, that's better than Darius days hitting like rowdy reptile, quieting pick and pop threes. Um, especially the way Colin Castleson has been playing. Cause I think Colin um, and CJ Felder are going to be able to do a little bit of work at home uh, in the paint, but you know, certainly when L be given that LSU is a little more limited offensively, you have to be make sure that you're, you're ready to do to negate what they do do well. Um, and I really think this is, from what I've seen, what they do best, I'm sure Eric's going to get more into it and and have something up for everybody on Gator Country. <laughs> yeah, at some point. So uh, hopefully tomorrow. Um, Got to get that done before the national championship game and get that up on Gator Country for, for Tuesday. But um, 
Uh, I'm curious, Neil, what you think, like how you would rank um, LSU and Auburn and Alabama just in terms of like, I'm not like, I don't think that those will be the teams that you would necessarily have one, two, and three in the SEC, but I'm curious where, where you would place LSU with those three teams. So, I mean, they played a game, so I have to put Auburn ahead of LSU, even though that game was at Auburn Arena. Like, I mean, it was not particularly competitive basketball game. Uh, LSU got ahead, what, I think 20 to 1 or something. It took 10 minutes for LSU to make a basket. So, um, you know, let's let's not act like it was super competitive because LSU cut it to single digits at a couple points. Um, You know, Auburn won by 15. So I I have uh, them – I have Auburn – ahead of LSU. Uh, that said, you know, as good as Jabari Smith has been, he's still just a freshman and like maybe he becomes sort of a wooden award candidate. But right now I think Terry Eason is a legitimate wooden award candidate. So when you have a legitimate wooden award candidate on your team, like it's hard to say that there's a, that LSU isn't the second best team in the SEC. Um, you know, and I don't know, I didn't see if, did Severe Wheeler play against Georgia? Um, I didn't see oh. he did. So, uh, I I don't believe he did, and I know that because there was a kind of clip going around where um, Severe Wheeler wasn't able to play because of a neck injury, and then Tom Crean came to give him a hug and like wrapped his hand around the head of Severe Wheeler and yanked him in for a close hug. So there's all these Kentucky fans <laughs> being like, "It's like, hey, he's out with a neck injury, and you know Tom Crean's out here, you know, like trying to make it worse." So. Uh, it was just more amazing Tom, <laughs> Tom Crean content. So, um, no, I don't believe he played, and it's because of Tom Crean memes that I know that. <laughs> Peak Tom Crean. Um, you know, Kentucky has a legitimate win award candidate, too, in Oscar Shibley. So should we say that Kentucky or LSU is the second-best team in the league? And you know what? To be fair to LSU, they played a game, <laughs> and LSU won it. So, uh, yeah, I would say – Right now, I think LSU is the second best team in the SEC. Um, you know, certainly if Florida wins, it's going to be just a huge, huge win come resume time uh, when the NCAA starts evaluating everything. Um, and if Florida loses their 0 and 3 in the SEC with uh, a trip to South Carolina and you know, sort of the annoyance of playing a Frank Martin team on the weekend, so not great, Bob. <laughs> yeah, I was just interested, kind of what you would think. I, I for sure you know, assumed you would have Auburn ahead of those two or, you know, ahead of Alabama and LSU who the Gators are going to face. But I was just interested kind of how you saw Alabama versus LSU because LSU's uh, several spots ahead, like in Ken Palm or the predictive metrics. But I think that kind of like resume wise are, are a little bit closer. Of course, Alabama's like their resume is kind of tough to quantify with some incredible wins and some, some puzzling losses. But, you know, I've also got to say it was a little uh, from a Florida fan perspective, a little disappointing where, Alabama kind of controls the Gators and then, you know, loses a game to Missouri. And then Oates talks about how he's so concerned for his team and doesn't think that they're, you know, very good at all. And I'm like, oh, great. Um, after they beat the Gators, but we'll see where that goes. But uh, yeah, I kind of think Auburn's a tier ahead of everyone. But uh, um, I also wanted to say a couple more Twitter related things. I wasn't ready to talk Tom Kareen and severe Wheeler memes, but that was uh, pretty funny. But um, I actually forgot one thing. <laughs> Um, after we said our favorite follows, like the moment we stopped recording the podcast, I was like, oh my gosh, I said Graham Hall was the goat, but I meant to say that there's two goats in Florida Gators Twitter. And, uh, it's also Andy Hutchins in alligator army. And I don't know why I slipped up, up in that in the moment, but he's, he is one person I had to add to our list of best Florida follows. And I think he is the best guy for in-game 
following, like in terms of like, if you've got, you, you know, you're watching the game and you've got Twitter open on your phone or laptop, like the alligator army tweets, like for just like good nuanced takes on what's going on. Um, he's the guy you need to be following. I think he's got, got the best stuff. Like he's going to share the videos that are relevant. Um, I just am so shocked that I kind of forgot that and, uh, officially apologize if he's listening, um, which I'm not sure if he does or not, but uh, I, I think he's just awesome and feel sick that I forgot him when we were talking about our favorite Twitter accounts. And, um, one more Twitter related thing that we have to get to was an all time performance from Auburn basketball fans responding to the tweet from the Florida Gators account um, with Auburn winning. I had no idea that this was a thing from Auburn fans, but they had 600 meetings in the first minute after, um, after Florida announced the the final score and they were hilarious. I think most, you know, pretty much all the ones I saw were in good taste. I, I didn't see anything that was, you know, offensive or, or rude. It was just solid meme work. And many of them were definitely like, just in the take cannon ready for his fans to fire up anytime Auburn wins. But a lot of them were like specially curated to this particular game. Um, man, you had mentioned that it's now the toughest home court to play at in the sec. And I, uh, you know, I know that on the broadcast, they were saying that they think that the Auburn took some heat for that, Eric, you did. And then on the broadcast, I mean, Dykes is saying he thinks it's the best student section in the sec. And so there's, you know, people are seeing that, but man, to see the, the meme response from Auburn fans, like just a tsunami of content, I I've got to say, I was impressed. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's just like one of the things that's awesome about like modern sports fandom in 2022 is, is, is the memes and man, Auburn did it well. So I think that they, uh, they do deserve some credits and perhaps some justification, um, to what you're saying just about, you know, the general kind of Auburn fandom and how tough the place they made that play. They've, they've made it, you know, they're, they dominate the home court and now they're dominating Twitter. <laughs> they really are. No, but Bruce Pearl has created quite a uh, basketball culture up there. And I think one of the most infectious things about Bruce is just how much he loves the sport so transparently. Um, and I might be just cause he's an emotional guy, but the way you can just tell how much he loves basketball, I think is infectious. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was a lot of love fest going on because Mike White was so complimentary of Auburn. And then Bruce Pearl like tweeted tonight, you know, something about uh, how hard he thought Florida played and and how good a game plan Florida had. Um, you know, and like I said, Jimmy Dyke said it was a high level basketball game. I thought it was uh, Florida just, you know, they're not good enough to win those kinds of games when they make even small mistakes. And that's kind of what the podcast was about. Yeah, I was a little surprised at the heat I got. I, I still think the Rowdies is the best student section because, um, you know, everybody like Auburn is trying to do what the Rowdies did. Like everybody's emulating the Rowdies, but I think Florida loses too much at home under Mike White. Um, and I also think the renovation has kind of sanitized the environment a little bit, having been to games there for almost two decades now. I'm getting old, Eric. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a different deal right now, um, you know. Uh, I did. Ryan King is a great follow. Has been following us for a while. Listens to our show. He he was one of the people that was arguing with me and was like, "Oh no way, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Tennessee are better." And like, I've been to all those places. And like, Tennessee on a weekend is lit. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's great. And Thompson Bowling is a fantastic basketball arena. Um, but you know, on a weeknight, it's it can be real sleepy in Thompson Bowling, man. And then like Arkansas. Uh, same deal kind of depends on how good the Razorbacks are crazy environment. I think right up there with Auburn when they're good, um, Kentucky, 
look, Rupp is a church. It's a cathedral to the sport. I'm not going to hate on it, but there's also a little bit of like a fat. It's a little bit like UNC. Like there's a little bit of like a fat cat. Like we've got all this money. Or their PA announcer is like basket by Ty Ty Washington. And it's like, you know, like some of that is just lame. And uh, like it's kind of a mausoleum in there unless, unless they're playing somebody really good. Um, you know, and Florida certainly has been really good sometimes. And so there have been times where I've watched game at Rupp or been to a game at Rupp where I'm like, dang, it's blowing up in here. And when it's loud, it's really loud because it's huge. But not one of the best environments in the SEC, uh, in my opinion. Like, I mean, just, just not, it's not fog Allen where the students are right on top of you. They didn't, they don't do that at Rupp for some reason. So uh, anyway, we could do a whole show on sec basketball culture, but with you, I wanted to share my favorite of the memes real quick and then I'll let Eric sign us off. But I did see one that was uh, like a, a news, like a news headline. And it says Florida man arrested on charges of animal cruelty a Gainesville, Florida man was arrested Saturday night after he brought five gators across state lines to be slowly humiliated, tortured, and ultimately murdered on live television. <laughs> and, a picture, <laughs> and it had a picture of Mike White, of course. So, uh, I mean, just, you know, pretty good stuff. I got to admit. <laughs> I, think, I think my favorite, you know, concept of the meme was just the fact that like every single one of those memes was deep fried and like deeply, deeply filtered. So like the fact that Auburn's like meme culture is not just like overall memes, but like they've clearly kind of found their, their style of meme and really, you know, push that. I, I, again, I just think that that's like amazing sports fandom in 2022. So um, I will give my favorite meme to the, of the night to the concept of deep fried memes and Auburn's, unquestioned commitment to it so uh uh and also you know rip to uh the wells fargo twitter account that's also you know got 2000 tags um because of the florida basketball uh tagging them and so so i think they got full value from their sponsorship <laughs> dollars because there's a whole lot of uh whole lot of memes with them in it getting uh, getting that <laughs> handle tweeted around so um maybe not exactly what they had in mind with the sponsorship but uh, they got you know full value of, of impressions just by uh reply so you know the game play Auburn again if they were to lose in February whenever that was you know uh they're gonna have to think about who they're tagging in the final score tweet because uh we know those uh those Auburn fans are are relentless so uh anyways looking forward to Wednesday's game looking forward to the podcast after we'll uh we'll see everyone there um so go Gators and keep attacking closeouts